Do you want healthier relationships? More intimate sex? Sometimes we have to get closer to ourselves to get close to others. Let's talk on Intimate Interactions. Go to patreon.com slash Victor Salmon to unlock every second episode of this podcast as well as tons of premium content. Hello, Intimates. In this episode, I interview Piper, a former partner and current relationship anarchist. We focus on what works for each of us and how we make what works work. We also acknowledge what didn't work between the two of us. When the phrase relationship anarchy is brought up, it's important to mention it means something different to everyone, and it's worth asking them what they mean. I usually remind folks that anarchy is not about having no rules at all, but about only following rules one participated in creating and agreed to follow. Communities can come up with whatever works for them, and the people that agree to those terms live in those communities. Sometimes that's a region with laws, other times it's a five- or six-person farmhouse with chore-sharing expectations. So too, with relationship anarchy, does it mean not the absence of order, but a custom relationship structure where all people involved have participated in any rules, principles, or values creation. Yes, it's a little more work, but it yields a totally custom structure. I'm even friends with some monogamous relationship anarchists. But perhaps I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's get to the session. I'm excited to share with you this very special session of Intimate Interactions. Welcome to another session of Intimate Interactions. My guest today is Piper, who self-identifies as a queer femme, which is important for them, and they use they-them pronouns. We lived together for how many years was it? Three. I think it was three years. Yeah. Yeah, it was a while. Oh, three and a half, actually. Yes, it I was. I just did the math. Three and a half. Yeah. That was a lot of years. Yeah. It was good. I mean, at times, it was great. I think that's how all relationships work. At times, they were great. Yeah. Cool. So we're going to talk a little bit about alternative relationships today, and we might even get to some questions on jealousy. Maybe. Maybe, maybe. Either this episode or next episode. Either this or next session. That's true. Okay. So my first question is, what kind of alternative relationship philosophy do you currently practice? And I'm asking for a dyadic focus, which for our listeners means between you and one other person. Um, So I self-identify as a relationship anarchist, and Mm -hmm. I think... That's a little bit different for every person who self-identifies that way. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a formal definition for what a relationship anarchist is. There's a manifesto, which is kind of charming because it's based on anarchy. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way that I use the description of relationship anarchy is literally from the root definition of anarchy, which is to, in my mind... Um, abandon all preconceived notions and rules and create them from within the structure itself. Mm -hmm. And so for me, what that means is my relationships don't have predefined structure. They are defined individually on a need by need basis. Um, That sounds really complicated to a lot of people. I know that. And so um, I was actually sitting down and talking with another friend of mine, Lyrica, and we were talking about um, different kind of relationship strategies, and I was describing relationship anarchy to her. And uh, I, I used an analogy of um, a buffet or a smorgasbord. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, the way that I see it is very visual, um, where you have a whole bunch of different facets of relationships, where you have the sexual component, you have a romantic component, you have um, a domestic component, you can have um, a power relationship if you have any kind of kink in your life, you can have um, 
There's also activities, I suppose. You have activities, shared hobbies. Maybe you have tour, like going on like touristy things with people. Um, mm -hmm. You have an exercise component to that. It's all of the different things sure. that you could possibly conceive of having in a relationship. Just split apart into their individual. Split apart into their individual sections. Mm -hmm. And basically the way that I see it, it's all of those individual sections are on a buffet. And you get to walk around and hold your plate um, between you and the person you're having a relationship with. They're both holding the plate. Both holding the plate. Well, it's kind of like you're holding the tray. And both of you are putting things onto a plate. Got you. Um, and basically, with negotiation and conversation, some of it happens organically. Some of it happens literally sitting down and chatting about it. You kind of pick and choose what elements of a relationship that you want between you two. Mm -hmm. um, and that's how each and individual relationship is customized between people. Um, one of the other important things for me about that is that no two relationships are ever the same, nor are they more important than one another. Sure. Um, so, for example, I might have a domestic partner um, who is also a romantic partner, but not a sexual partner. Um, and they are no more or no less important than maybe someone who I see once in a blue moon, but it's like we have a great sexual relationship and we go on kayak tours because that's what we do. Um, both of those relationships would have equal weight for me um, because as well as being a relationship anarchist, I'm a community-minded relationship anarchist and mm -hmm. all about equality and egalitarianism in my relationships. I find it, it it's, that's great that you brought up egalitarianism because I think sometimes people overdo equality in a lot of polyamory focuses and it leads to all kinds of problems. I would agree. I'm, I'm interested when you said that those relationships hold equal weight for you, that to me that communicates that those humans hold equal importance in that they're both important to you as opposed to direct equality. They just are both important humans in your life. Well, I think when you look at it in terms of, um, I'm sorry, I might butcher this just in advance. Um, when you look at the difference between equality and equity, sure. Um, uh, yes, all my relationships aren't equal. I'm not saying okay, I have 80 You're not hours in a week. Equity on your relationship. I don't have like it's not like I have 80 hours in a week, and I'm like okay, I want to spend 20 of those hours on relationships. So person A gets 10, 10 and then person B gets 10 hours because sure. that's equal. What I'm saying is like. It's what's right for that relationship in comparison to the overall balance and scale of my life. Mm -hmm. um, and so maybe a domestic partner does end up with more time. I mean, that's probably the case if I live with them. Um, but that doesn't mean that I love them more. That doesn't mean that they're more important to me. That doesn't mean that I'm going to prioritize. Right. Um, my time spent with them over other relationships, mm -hmm. which can be really hard with like monogamous pre-programming and stuff like that and totally. relationship escalators. You Just touching on that, you once mentioned people, quote unquote, trying out poly. Uh, yes. And you had this great analogy about sweaters. Did you want to speak to that at all? Um Oh my gosh, it was so long ago that it was. I used it was the analogy. trying on the poly sweater over top of the monogamy shirts. Oh yeah, and it was like if you don't take the shirt off first, it's never going to feel quite right. You know, because... it's never going to fit the same way as just the sweater right, would. Right. Um, I, I have mixed feels about that analogy now. It's funny being a little bit more distanced from it. Awesome. Um, yeah, a lot of people do try on like not even just the polyamory, but the alternative relationship sweater over top of the monogamy <laughs> T-shirt. Um, the open relationship buttons. No, not even open relationship because like, I mean, some people will start swinging or some people will start like 
sure. cuckoldry or something like that, whatever sure. works for them. Honestly, I think even cheating is an exploration of an alternative relationship style, even Oof, though I think it's really bad. Yeah, there's the whole bunch of unethical... <laughs> Yeah, I'm an ethical non-monogamous, just for uh, reference. Clarification. <laughs> just for clarification. Um, but, like, I, I I get the feeling that people, like, throw on this sweater as, like, a an exploration of self, an exploration mm-hmm. of relationships. And I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's totally and utterly valid um, to explore in that area however you want to explore. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you're putting on a sweater, it doesn't feel the same. And it doesn't, your body doesn't react the same way if there's an extra layer in between you, like the monogamy layer. Right. And so if you don't take off the monogamy layer, you're not really going to understand if the poly layer is scratchy or if it's like really, really soft and cuddly or if it's too warm or if it's like too cold. Like you can't really tell how it functions in and of itself unless you remove some of the preconceived notions that monogamy is inherently present because of all of our social conditioning. Right. All of the media, all of the years of stories and, yeah. and all of the ideas that we've just been told by parents, even by yeah. role models. Yeah. For about 200 years, 200, 300 years, it's become really prevalent to follow the monogamous lifestyle. Sure. It is. It is very recent. And even more recently than that would be the idea of love marriage. Yeah. Like that monogamy had anything to do with love is yeah. a very recent notion and a very Western um, notion, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know very much about it, to be perfectly that's, honest. That's totally I don't want to speak out of my depth, but that's that fair. is my understanding. With with my um, with with what little um, knowledge I have of my mother's perspective on Indian romance, which is, you know, a, quite out of date compared to modern um, modern times. There is definitely a lot of more recent focus being placed on love marriage there. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine actually. And it's really it's sometimes in conflict with traditional values of having arranged marriage yeah it's really interesting but i don't want to get too far off topic as i frequently do legit when did you originally start with relate well with relationships that were not monogamy when did you first decide to make that shift well this is going to be an amusing story goodness um because i originally started into non-monogamy because i met this fabulous and wonderful person Uh, named Victor, who now hosts a podcast called Intimate Interactions. (laughs) And uh, originally, when I met him, it was actually through the kink community. And I was super drawn to him. We had really good chemistry and interaction, and we still do in our own way. And one of the very first things he told me was, I'm non-monogamous. And I was like, yeah, okay, that's cool. I believe that. <laughs> I could do that, no worries. And Sweater so um, I was at the point of unconscious incompetence. I did not know what I didn't know. And so while I agreed with the philosophy that you, love is not finite, you could love more than one person at once, um, I did not understand the practical implications of non-monogamy. And so I just barreled into it head first, And I was like, dude, I got this. I did not have that. Um, but through my relationship with Victor... Um, I went through all of the trials and tribulations of learning what it was like to be non-monogamous and practice non-monogamous relationships. And in that three and a half years, basically, um, I went through several iterations of understanding what non-monogamy meant to me. For a while, I was poly. For a while, I was... Oh, I'm trying to think of what I called myself back then. Oh, my God. Because we were poly with, like, specific restrictions, for a while. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was kind of hard because 
while I was learning about non-monogamy and while I was like trying to navigate what poly meant for me because originally Victor was like I'm poly and I was like oh if I'm poly and I'm with you in a relationship I must also be poly right which is not the case for people listening which is totally not necessarily the case but it's a common misconception Um, Mm -hmm. and so for a very long time I was trying to figure out how poly worked for me and how I would be poly like how can i be poly because i'm in a poly relationship exactly and so for a while i thought like i was like maybe i'm monogamous but like okay with my partner being polyamorous and that was actually one of the first steps that i took to understanding that i could have my own relationship style Mm -hmm. with someone in a different relationship style so that was actually crucial um for me because i was realizing that in my relationship with victor um i was feeling very like romantically monogamous and very domestically monogamous because at that point we were living together and I was like, I don't want to live with anyone else. I don't really want to have like a romantic attachment with anyone else. I don't really want to have a life partner with anybody else. And so I was like, how do I rectify these feelings when like for me, it made sense to that I, I could be poly, but these feelings were very monogamous, but I, there were other things like I was like sexual monogamy. I was like, well, fuck that noise. Um, kink was definitely not monogamous in any capacity um and so it was like what exactly am i doing and so i really feel like for me that broke the way into relationship anarchy i think i remember victor coming home one time and being like oh i heard this cool thing relationship anarchy and so i googled it and then i just totally and utterly ran with it before we get started on relationship anarchy i'm curious but when you said kink was not monogamous at all did you mean by that that you had multiple play partners and that it wasn't exclusive well it's kind of hard um i I, oh my gosh this is getting so complicated so the way that i see my like (laughs) smorgasbord in terms of like kink in a context um kink is an activity that can be done and it can have many different contexts from it and Mm -hmm. so for me personally um the activity of kink is a method of having relationships with someone sure um kind of like instead of going boating i do kink (laughs) um sorry for all the boat analogies i was at the seaside earlier today but um and so for me when i say i was not kink monogamous i mean I was using kink as an activity into having multiple uh, power dynamics with people, mm-hmm. um, exploration of self and self-development with multiple people. And so kink as an overall tool was not something that I did with just one person. It's interesting that you had to pick another rigging activity. Oh, fuck. <laughs> you like full on were like, it's like boating. It's an activity that I do. And here I am just imagining you tying sails up and being like, release the jib. Incidentally, I've never actually boated a day in my life. I am terrified of oceans. Also, I just said release the jib, which should be evidence to anyone who sails that I know nothing about sailing. Also, sorry in advance for anyone listening to this who, who sails. So sorry. Also, I now have an image of a kraken trying to sail because I said release the jib. Oh, jeez. Okay. Anyways. All right. Moving on. <laughs> Staying as on topic as I get, which... If one person can keep me on topic for you, dear listeners, it is Piper. I can try anyway. You certainly will. We were going to talk about intermediate stages before, but you actually just naturally flowed right into that and kind of tackled that. So that was really well done. Yeah. Um... So you were talking about, and, and if it's okay to go back to intermediate stages, you were talking about how you came to this realization of being monogamous with a partner who is polyamorous and that you could have different ideologies that were compatible. Yeah. In that being monogamous doesn't require you to have a partner that's monogamous. However, it's probably going to be very challenging. 
Um, not necessarily, but I don't necessarily. I actually I disagree with that. I don't think it's challenging at all. But I think knowing yourself well enough to know that you're getting your needs met in the entirety with this person and you're okay with that mm-hmm. while the other person is polyamorous because that satisfies their needs. I think that takes a great deal of self-awareness. Um, I think all relationships do, honestly. I think the work um, involved is more than a regular monogamous relationship though, because you have to sort of tackle some of those monogamous myths about, um, you know, if they really loved me, dot, dot, dot. All I of- just think it's different. Okay. Um, because like, when when you like when I think about it, mm-hmm. I think monogamous relationships and polyamorous relationships are equally as complicated in different ways. Sure, totally. Um, I don't think it's like an upgrade to go to poly. I yeah. don't think it's like harder. Sure. Or monogamy is easier. Sure. Um, I think that because monogamy is the default, a lot of our societal trainings mm-hmm. teach us how to deal with a lot of the things that we wouldn't necessarily consider as difficult in monogamy. Right. Um, but it's like, what happens if you're having trouble trouble in bed? With your sure. monogamous partner. Like, what do you do? All of a sudden, you're responsible for all their needs. Whereas if you're monogamous exactly. and your partner's poly, they can go and get their needs met elsewhere. And there's no pressure on you. Exactly. And so it's just like a totally different collection of things that you have to work through. Mm-hmm. And so I think in the context of a monogamous person and a polyamorous person dating, mm-hmm. if the monogamous person is like, no, dude, I'm cool. I got this. And they can negotiate and communicate with their polyamorous person. Mm-hmm. I don't really think it's any more difficult than being in a polyamorous relationship. I, I agree. So, um, what I was talking about, though, was, was... going to relationship anarchy. Was going to relationship anarchy from that place. Yes. Um, and I think, for me... I read the manifesto. I actually have never read the manifesto in its entirety. Really? Because awesome. enough of the time, I say that I'm a relationship anar- anarchist, and people are like, huh? Right. Um, so, which gives me the, the impeti- impetus to define it myself. Um, which I'm not going to lie. I definitely use that as a tool. I will often go up to people who are like, I'm Polly. And I'm like, I'm a relationship anarchist. And they're like, what does that mean? And I'm like, well, let me tell you what it means for me. Right. Um, and so that's actually a really good tool. Um, it forces conversation to start. Yeah. Um, which is, which is great. Cause very helpful. it's so much nicer than having people assume I'm something I'm not like when I've, identified as Polly for a while when we were together and it was awful like people would just assume they knew what it meant yeah because they had heard one thing once on like Dan Savage right oh but then and and another thing actually just reminded me like when we were in a relationship together and we called ourselves Polly we would go out and I would even have my friends be super concerned for me and they were like but you're not having sex with each other. What's going on? There must be something wrong in your relationship. Because for a lot of people, they say poly and they think, oh, you're in a romantic and a sexual relationship with that person. And so Mm -hmm. part of breaking away from the poly definition was that once I came around to realizing that there was nothing wrong with our relationship if we weren't having sex and that it was just as fulfilling without it. In fact, we were better off without it. Um, it it suddenly had to it had to change the description had to change because people assumed that there was something wrong with our poly if we weren't having sex right there are still scripts around poly because yeah. poly has that weird interface with monogamy with yeah. like the lifestyle crowd and the hierarchical veto poly people yeah and as a result when you say poly you might mean lifestyle you might mean veto poly you might mean hierarchical or you might mean non-hierarchical yeah and people don't ask they just assume they the assume one from type whatever of poly their occurred. context is right exactly and so to abandon that and to force people 
to basically either ask me or research themselves or, or get them to know, go away. Which is fine. <laughs> get them to go away. Um, I'm not a very social person. Um, but basically to break down all kind of expectations that external people had of my relationship, it was very valuable to say that I was a relationship anarchist. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I started doing that for the sake of other people, then I realized how valuable it was for me as well, mm-hmm. because then I could start defining the importance of other relationships within that framework. Mm-hmm. So I have one friend who is very near, near and dear to me. I love them very much. They're one of my hard humans, which is a term that I got from them. Yeah. And uh, I, I never really, like, we've never lived together. We've never been in a romantic relationship. We've never been in a sexual relationship but i feel such an emotional connection to them and they are so grounding for me and so mm-hmm. emotionally supportive um that i i couldn't figure out for a little while how i could define the importance of that right while i was in like a quote-unquote polyamorous relationship and i was like well clearly this relationship is just as important as the one that i'm currently in especially when you consider mental health yeah and and but also like like exploring gender expression and stuff like that because they talked through a lot of that stuff with me at the time and so personal growth personal growth and so that that relationship was hugely vastly important and it still is to this day and so um being able to be like this relationship is so incredibly important. It doesn't invalidate my current relationship, the person right. that I'm living with, but it is just as important. And being able to realize that a relationship that wasn't sexual, that wasn't romantic, um, but was distinctly a heart human, yeah, like it had its own place because of my relationship anarchy smorgasbord concept. Right. We didn't necessarily talk about it, but we managed to create a relationship that is so incredibly valuable to me that some people would just call friendship. I imagine a lot (sighs) of monogamous people, monogamous people would call friendship. Sure. But to me, it's more than that. Well, and especially with how significant that relationship is, you have to start asking, like, why do we prioritize sexual and romantic relationships so hard? Yeah. I think a lot of that is preconditioning and social programming. Um, I also have strong feelings about the word romantic. Yeah, I can understand that. Um, It's actually kind of funny because one of the things that I just tripped up on was not the romantic side of it, but the sexual side of it. Right. Um, Because I I self-identify as a demisexual, um, which is on, for listeners, look at me being good at my definitions, it's on the um, gray sexual scale. Mm-hmm. Um, where you're a sexually being, you're an asexual being, or you're a gray sexual being, or a demisexual being. Um, and so it's kind of within that spectrum. So in an actual classical definition, a demisexual is someone who doesn't feel a sexual attraction unless there's an emotional relationship there. And for me, that's absolutely like, yes, that is so utterly and completely who I am. Um, so I often go through the world feeling no particular sexual inclinations towards anyone and that's that's really common for me. Mm-hmm. But it makes dating very, very challenging because people do have these expectations of sexuality in, like, romantic relationships. Mm-hmm. And so I, end, I, I constantly end up getting, like, uh, caught up with my, my feet underneath me because people are like, oh, sexual interest. And I'm like, I don't know you. Yeah. I don't know enough about you emotionally in order to feel a sexual attraction to you. But yet it's still so much a part of our culture. And relationship anarchy lets me kind of toss that out the window in all the best ways. For me, anyway. Yeah, 100%. Again, it's about creating that custom relationship framework where you can live your best life and find the humans that are enriching and supporting to your mental health. Exactly. And just be satisfied, fulfilled, and get your needs met. Exactly. 
And those needs aren't always sexual needs. No. I can't state that enough. It's like when you say needs around a relationship, most people in the mainstream that I chat with tend to hear sexual or emo- or, or like direct cuddling related touch needs. Yeah. They, even when you say intimacy, a lot of people hear touch needs, cuddling, sex. They don't think about things a lot of the time the way that you or I might frame things as relationship anarchists. As when we say needs, we mean literally like any all human needs. needs. Like all the needs are needs. Yeah. And I think actually, it's, it's funny now that we're talking about this. It was in my relationship with you very, very early on. Victor was actually the one who taught me this. Um, having needs does not mean being needy. Absolutely. Um, and, and on top of that, there's absolutely nothing wrong with being needy. Um, just the socialized context of being needy um, implies that it, there's something wrong with it, that there's a negative connotation to it. But like for me, like being a demisexual, I have in my opinion, fewer sexual needs than most people. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I want intimacy, like one of the ways that I experience my greatest intimacy is having one-on-one conversations with people and having like direct focused time and conversations. I'm also a huge introvert. Surprise, surprise. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's like, oh God, oh, I'm going to say this. It's going and having long walks on the beach and talking. Yeah, I love it. Um, but legitimately, like, that's how I experience intimacy. That's mm-hmm. how I experience emotional intimacy. Focus time. It doesn't have to be touching. It doesn't have to be cuddling. In fact, most of the time, I would like people to stay outside of my six-foot space bubble. Um, <laughs> hashtag introvert. Hashtag introvert. Uh, but... We went to the beach this morning. We did go to the beach this morning. And that was, like, hugely emotionally filling. And that was definitely one of the needs that I got filled, and I really needed it at the time. Um but that's a need, just like anything else. Yeah. And I mean, it's interesting, too, because needy is such a freaking gendered word. I kind of hate it. It's like no one ever describes a cis man as needy for wanting to have sex all the time. Oh, my God. Well, I mean, I have, but. <laughs> You're so that's, needy. That's when I'm feeling particularly petulant. Go um, sleep with your girlfriend. I have no interest. I, I have said that to Victor before. Yep. I actually have. It's I'm legitimate. pretty sure actually in the context was um, uh, you're being really needy. Go have butt sex with your girlfriend right now. Yeah, good times. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's why it was. And but then I packed his bag for him and sent him on his way. You're like, go, go. I'm going to I'm gonna sit at home, drink tea, and like watch Netflix. And cuddle with a cat. And that's literally what I did. It was, yeah, I it was brilliant. It was, yeah. But that was a really good way that like, for example, my yeah. needs were getting met and Victor's needs were getting met Absolutely. in two totally different ways. And And irrelevant to our immediate relationship, my other partner's needs were getting met too. Oh, hot damn. I think that moves us on very swiftly to our next conversation point. Nicely done. Right. Which is um, metamorships. Yeah. So metamorships are relationships between partners of partners. So if I have a partner, Piper, and Piper had another partner, that other partner would be my metamor. Correct. Okay, cool. We're on the same page. I was like, so, wait, what, wait a second. You're like, wait, let me, let me do the yeah. tracking. So <clears throat> do you... Do you find metamorphships to be energy intensive and do you find them rewarding? Oh God. Okay. We can start slower. We can start with an easier one if you like. Okay. Just give me a little stretch. Let me get into this. Yeah, crack the neck. Yeah. Okay. Um, so just for the visual learners amongst us, in, in case uh, it's a little bit more complicated to understand what we mean by metamorphships, the way that I see metamorphships um, again, within a dyadic framework. Oh my God. So I was, I was thinking about how I really wanted to say in a dyadic framework. And I'm like, no, Victor, you have really intense needs for security. Everyone that's listening is assuming we're talking about between anyways. And then you said it and I was like, Rah! 
I just gave you what you needed without even you needing to ask. Also, this is because we lived together for three and a half years. We are well adjusted to each other. Um, very. It's a little creepy. Uh, <laughs> so the way that I see metamorph ships as a visual description is you imagine a triangle. And I don't know why I imagine it this way, but I imagine it with the point on the bottom and the flat side across the top. And I'm the point on the bottom, and I have a relationship with each of the two people on top. And there is no line officially between the two people on the top because they're not in a relationship with each other except for the metamorphship which i would argue is a relationship but there is no it's, romantic sexual i would say it's theoretically domestic i would say it's not necessarily an intimate relationship i would i, I mean but then again disagree. it depends on how you define intimacy exactly but it okay. also kind of depends because some metamorphships have an emotional intimacy factor totally actually and some yeah. don't and this again comes down to the relationship with anarchist in me where you build it yourself. It's a you build it yourself type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, any like metamorphships are so varied and so different depending on the needs of people in the relationship. Absolutely. So there are some people who are like metamorphships. I want nothing to do with this. I don't want to know what my partners are doing. Just keep me out of it. I don't want to know. Keep me in the, the dark. The don't ask, don't tell the, philosophy. The don't ask, don't tell philosophy, and that really works for some people. Um, and then there's the other people who are like, hey, invite me into your bed sometime. Totally different style. Oh, you're talking about more of a triadic. Uh, triadic. Like a unicorn date us as a couple sort of thing? No, not necessarily. But like, okay. um, I know that you've had relationships with people where you were in a relationship with someone and their part, you, your metamor was also in a relationship with someone and the three oh, of you came together and had a sexual experience together. That's true. That's, right? Actually, that was my very first non-monogamous experience was a couple saw me for sexy times Every now and again, they yeah. would just send me a request and I would go over and they taught me how to have like a non-hierarchical form of poly, even though they had a really intense relationship in terms of emotional closeness and intimacy and sex. And I was mostly just there for the sex and the friendship. And they were both gr- and still are great humans. Yeah. So it's like metamorphships are so varied um, depending on the needs. And one of the things that I really had to get over, oh, which was not easy... Um, is that my style of metamorphship does not always jive with other people's style of metamorphship. And this actually created a, a large sticking point in, not so much in my relationship with Victor, but my relationship with Victor's partners, partners. with my metamorphs. Um, I mentioned earlier on that I'm a community-minded individual. Um, Oof. And the reason why I even announced it at the beginning that, like, hi, I'm Piper, I use they, them pronouns, I am a queer femme, uh, community-minded relationship anarchist. That is literally, that is my spiel. Yep. Um, because community-minded is such a hinge, like, it's such a sticking point for me. Um, for me, any any relationship is an emotional investment. Any relationship is challenging. <laughs> any relationship um, takes time and energy. Mm-hmm. I'm an introvert. Pretty much the only recharge time I get is when I'm alone and when my cat's not being an asshole. Which is not enough. <laughs> So anyway. you said when your cat's not being an asshole, and I just took that to mean never. Almost never. Um, <laughs> sometimes he's sweet when he's asleep. That's true. He's you know? adorable when he's snoring. Um, Moving on. Old man snores. Um, I am now totally I'm sorry. Topic. I'm now just visualizing your cat on his back, like, snoring, because he's just... He's a darling until he's awake. Until. So yeah, all all and all relationships for me take energy. And I found when I was originally getting into non-monogamy, I found metamorphships to be very contrived. 
Um, mm. And I mean that in as much as they're not, they're one of the only relationships that you don't choose for yourself. Like I, family. Like, like biological family. Yes. Um, we don't, we don't choose who procreates us. That, I'll, I'll allow it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, but metamorph ships are, are not by our choice. Unless you are in a very specific kind of relationship where your partner chooses your partners, which is valid. I'm not invalidating that. But it's not common. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And so, in my experience, metamorph ships have always been created yes. by my partner choosing to date someone. And I think that's the, that's the most common way that metamorph ships are created. And again, just because your partner is dating someone and you have that invisible dashed line yeah. between you and the other point of the triangle, that doesn't mean that you have an active metamorph ship, even if you really want one. Yeah. And that's like hashtag poly problems. That is, that is a really common introductory sticking point because yes. metamorph ships are complicated to navigate. Yeah. And they're extremely complicated when not only are you just not, not only are you trying to navigate a brand new style of relationship, but the other person's like, oh, that's not how I do things. Yeah. And you're like, but... But I only have this one map. Yeah. And then the really funny thing is, is normally in a relationship, if you come to a junction where you have, in a relationship with any person, if you have something that's really not working, you just step away from each other. Mm-hmm. But metamorphships don't really work like that. You can step away from each other in as much as you decide not to interact with one another. But fundamentally, if your each individual relationships are working, you're not going to, both of you aren't going to step away from your partner because your metamorphship Right. It's not as effective. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be bad enough that you do choose to leave the actu- actual active relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not often the case, I think. I, I agree. I was going to say something. I forgot it. Um, and so it's like, as a relationship anarchist, looking at metamorphships now, it's a little bit different because um, I do tend to... I ask my partner what level of interaction they feel comfortable having, like having me interact. No, I ask my partner partner. first. I'm like, hey, do you want me to meet your other partner? Do you want me to talk to them? Do you want me to introduce myself? Do you want them to introduce themselves? Um, Do you want us to sit down and have coffee without you? Do you want us to sit down and have coffee with you? Um, So I, I go to my first, my first touching point is going to my partner and then um, as Victor and I have actually done, despite the fact that we're no longer in a domestic relationship, mm-hmm. um, usually the person who's in the relationship with both of them, sometimes called a hinge partner. I like that term because I think it's easy to see the center of the V that's in two relationships as being the hinge. Yeah. And so um, Victor, as a hinge partner between us, has facilitated going to his other partner and being like, hey, this person wants to talk to you. Are you good with that? And Victor set some expectations and depending on the level of interaction that one or both of us may want, we'll either set up the introduction, come to the coffee date or what have you. Personally, I've always kicked Victor out. It's my mm-hmm. preference in the past. It's my preference now. I'd rather get to know individuals without having my partner there. It's a different environment in my opinion. I would agree. I would rather have, even though the relationship isn't like chosen by me, I would rather have a relationship that's built just between us rather than relying and and focusing on the hinge partner. And I've, I've come to very much appreciate that style yeah. as a hinge. I, I do my best not to try and push my partners together whatsoever. It's 100% of their terms. So when one of my two partners comes to me and is like, hey, 
I've I've I think that that other metamor is interesting or cool or I like what you've been saying about them or we've been seeing them a lot at events or, or I'm feeling insecure and I think I should talk to them because it's sometimes a coping strategy yeah. and that's where you run into a lot of problems when your other metamor is like I just want to not have contact and you're like but this is an easy coping strategy I know I can deal with this insecurity if I just meet you and put a face to you and know you're a human being different means different, different means, means getting met right yeah. So for me as a hinge, my strategy is let let the door and the wall swing at the speed they want to swing at. I am there to facilitate only. So yeah. when one partner comes to me and says, hey, I'm interested in meeting that other partner, I go, cool, I'm going to approach them for you and say, is it okay if this person messages you on Facebook? Yeah. Or is it okay if this person gets in touch? Yeah. And then I do that, and then I see how that person's dealing with it. And if that person's like, you know what, I'm a yes to that. I'll, we'll just we'll just message. We'll see where that goes. And I usually set the expectation that it is it is common for people to ask to go to coffee, but that's not how they have to run their metamorship. It's 100% up to them. Also, this is super gratifying to hear you describe this, because I know for a fact that I was the one who helped you create yep, this. Yep, 100%. Yeah, because... Because yep. I, I did not know how to be a hinge. Well, it's not even, like... I mean, it's learning, Everyone right? has to learn. Everyone yeah. has to start somewhere. And I don't think it's appropriate to say that you fucked up a lot. I don't know. That's pretty appropriate. Well, I'm not going to say it. Okay. But um, <laughs> I think in learning what we both felt comfortable with, yeah. um, especially because when we really got into the swing of things near the end of living together, mm-hmm. um, I was much more willing to throw down and be like, hey, dude. I'm advocating for myself and this is bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I have said that before verbatim, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but we went through this this period of learning where I was I was learning to express like why metamorphs ships were important to me in the context they were important to me mm-hmm. and why community was so important to me, but also that I needed to have the independence and the ability to create that relationship without Victor there. Because in the past, Victor had been so caring and loving about both of us that he wanted to make sure that we got along. Oh, that's such a mistake. Don't do that. And so Victor <sighs> would try and facilitate absolutely everything so that and we like, would actually get along. But it like verges into triangulation where I'm communicating things to one partner from the other partner. That is, in my opinion, a huge mistake in poly. Partners should be speaking, like metamorphs should be speaking directly to each other wherever possible. Unless you have like exceptionally excellent communication sure. and you have negotiated that you're going to be doing triangular communication sure. and you have talked about how that's going to look and where responsibility is going to fall. Yep. I personally, I mean, that's just way too much work for me. I'd rather talk to someone directly. It's, but hey, if that works for people, that works for people. I know that's totally fair. The proxy personal accountability is a thing you can do if you really want. I think doing triangular communication is harder than not doing triangular communication. I agree. And I'm all about making my relationships as easy as possible. Totally. I think when you're when you're tackling something that you is new, that is hard, um, and all relationships are hard, I think. At least they can be. They require a lot of skill, I think is the better way to put it. Make them easy. Give yourself the advantages. And then when you are an absolute expert... Make them easier. Make them easier. <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate that. Um, Metamorships. Metamorships. So do you find them rewarding? Yes and no. Depends on the metamorship. 100%. Um, and this comes back to my relationship style. Mm-hmm. I'm a community-minded person. And so when I have... Oh. What does that look like? Can you tell us more about what a like ideal community-minded situation looks like for you? It's actually really funny because I was just imagining what that was like. And I was like, oh, that's so good. I remember that. Um, 
one of my favorite things is being able to uh, care for and facilitate um, my partner in having other relationships. And sometimes mm-hmm. that means like planning a surprise date between my partner and my metamorph because they haven't seen each other in a really long time and how does they want to have crazy ass butt sex because I'm like, yeah, no. Um, how does planning that surprise date work in the context of like consent? Do you like set it up with your metamorph and then surprise your partner? Well, I mean, it kind of depends on how, where you want consent to fall and what negotiations you have sure, between you and your sure. partner. And so in that, in, in the example that I was thinking of, um, I would just set up a date and be like, Hey partner. Um, you have a date planned with this person if you want it. Sure. Go ahead. It's all been, all the effort, all the work has been done. Just go. Um, That's pretty amazing. Sometimes I have also literally been like, I packed all your stuff. Here's some food. Go meet this person. Get out. Hashtag scheduling is the hardest part of Polly. <laughs> yeah, true. Google Calendar is your friend. Um <laughs> And so it's like, but that's that's one of the things that I really like and I find really emotionally fulfilling um, because it satisfies needs in me. Mm-hmm. Um, I love organizing things. I love uh, working together with people to make someone happy. That mm-hmm. makes me happy. And mm-hmm. one of the coolest things about that is that I don't get to just make my partner happy. I get to make my partner and my men more happy. Yeah. And it's like happiness builds on happiness. And so totally. them knowing that I'm so happy to have done that makes them feel at ease and comfortable and happy doing what they're doing because mm-hmm. they have my wholehearted support and my epic organizational planning skills behind them. Mm-hmm. So like, that's what I like about community minded things. But it's also sometimes it's like, if I have a really good relationship with my metamore, I can also be like, hey, metamore, I'm struggling really hard. And I know that you were supposed to have a date with my partner, can I borrow them and tonight instead, even though you have a date and can I give you like some time on the weekend instead, because I'm super hardcore struggling. Mm -hmm. And if you have a really good relationship with your partner, it's more for me with your metamorph, sorry for me, it's more like ebb and flow and negotiation and talking and expectation setting and and transparency and vulnerability. And that's always been my style. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the reasons why I lean so hard to, community-minded relationship styles is because that is my style. Um, When you have super strict rules and regimented um, scheduling and stuff like that, you just kind of are left to deal with however you're feeling at the time. And so if I'm feeling extremely vulnerable with something on a day where I don't have any partner support, I'd rather have the ability to talk to everybody in a group and just express where I am. And that doesn't mean mm-hmm. that I'm going to get those needs met. It's just an ask. Um, and it's amazing how much just making the ask feels better. Even if yeah. you don't get the needs met, at least you're seen. Yeah. And at least at least everyone can make their needs known. Mm-hmm. And you can make the decision that's best for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes you might give up things. Like you give up a date night with someone. But... Honestly, I find that it still feels good to help and support your partners. So mm-hmm. even if you're giving something up, you know that you're helping someone else. And mm-hmm. I'm a super help-driven person. I like helping. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that really emotionally feeds me. Yeah. Yeah. So metamors can be... Enriching, rewarding. Fantastic. And they can be nightmares. Yeah. It just... I mean, they're the same as any other relationship, right? Yeah, you 100%. Just, you just get to work through them. You touched on joy 
amplifying joy. And that made me think a lot about compersion, which is something I actually got into trouble with because I mentioned it in my first episode. And I had feedback from people being like, what is this thing? Why didn't you define it? And I was like, oh, bad Victor jargon, not good. Um, Yeah. I mean, it's going to happen, right? When you have people listening in on something. I mean, we've dropped so many mm-hmm. words and concepts that, I mean, we probably don't even think about because they are part of our everyday life. Right. And I mean, we're both trying to define as much as we can, but... Right. Um, Accessibility, yay. Compersion is one of those things that, honestly, I'm not even sure the poly, poly community fully embraces or accepts or <laughs> runs with. Um but for me, compersion is feeling happy uh, as a result of someone else's happiness. And mm-hmm. so when my partner is happy, um, I can feel happy that they feel happy. That's a lot of happy in one statement. Mm-hmm. Um, I will try and give an example for more concrete evidence. Um, <laughs> sending my partner off to have butt sex with their girlfriend while I stay at home and drink tea and watch Netflix. With a cat. With a cat. Uh so, I mean, obviously I'm getting my needs met above and beyond compersive feeling good needs because mm-hmm. I'm getting to watch Netflix, drink tea and cuddle with a cat. But being able to be secure, safe, emotionally supported and knowing that my partner is feeling like grateful, appreciated, valued. Oh, so and intensely, just so. like enjoying themselves. And honestly, I feel I actually feel compersion towards my metamors as well. I, I know that not everyone does, but I, I do. Um, knowing that my metamor is feeling like satisfied and happy and grateful and mm-hmm. the love that they feel for my partner. I mean, that's that's hugely satisfying. And so for me, that really is love building on love and joy building on joy and happiness building on happiness because I have helped facilitate two people coming together yeah being happy and enjoying themselves in a relationship and dude that feels awesome totally and I can take a tiny sliver of responsibility for that because I have negotiated having a relationship with both of these people yeah at at the very least in the sense of negotiated a metamorship as well which i agree is a relationship but again i'm trying to clarify for the audience right relationship anarchists kind of tend to forget because everything is a relationship relationship. (laughs) literally i have relationships with my tea oh man yeah don't even talk about my relationship to relationships oh that is is a whole podcast yeah it's getting better um and so like that Compersion is such a, a powerful and, and fantastic thing, and I I hope that people can uh, can experience that. Um, I think people find it difficult. Um, I think as people are opening up to non-monogamy, it's hard to conceive of moving past like jealousy and insecurity to feel happy for your partner having relationships with others mm-hmm. um but i also think it's a really valuable thing that i mean it's not it's never something you want to work towards it's not like a goal it's not a relationship goal to feel compersion because if it doesn't if that's not something you want if that's not something that works for you if that's not something that you're ever really going to want to experience that's fine there's no way to do relationships oh my god the relationship anarchist is coming out strong today so it's like compersion <laughs> doesn't have to be a part of your relationship it really doesn't. There is no wrong way to do relationships unless it's non-consensual or if there's abuse. Sure. Compersion is not part of that formula. Mm-hmm. You don't have to have compersion. You can focus on compersion. It's whatever you want. I just know that for me, joy begets joy, and that is compersion. I think it's a nice to have. 
Oh, well, yeah. You know. As opposed to an, a must-have or a need-to-have. Yeah, and I mean, like, happy feels. That's nice. I'll the take way, them. The way that I try and explain compersion to monogamous people that kind of... You know when you when you mention to someone your relationship anarchist or you're non-monogamous and they go, oh, I could never do that? Yeah. Um, sometimes I ask them if they've ever seen, like, a monogamous couple kissing in the rain and smiled. Yeah. And I think if they can do that, I'm like, yeah, so you've experienced compersion. You just haven't experienced it with a partner sleeping yeah. with someone else. And it's it's different to take compersion, which I think is a normal human thing. Yeah. Um, in the same way schadenfreude is a normal human thing. Yeah. Compersion is too. And and to transpose that and, and experience that in the context of non-monogamy. I think yeah. that's... So I think giving people a map, though, for like, you probably already have experienced compersion. You just haven't probably experienced it in a non-monogamous framework. If, I agree. Yeah. yeah. And I think one of the things that really strongly battles compersion, like fights against it actively, is insecurity. Yeah, or hurt, um, or lack, scarcity, a lot of those things. A lot of those things. Like, a lot of the problems that I think people have when they're exploring non-monogamy um, and working life. on themselves in general, I think a lot of those are barriers to feeling compersion. Um, not always. Uh, in my relationship with Victor, I... And actually, in, in subsequent relationships as well, like, I have struggled with... Um, like feeling insecure and like working on my mental health and all of that stuff. But even like in the beginning days, like way back when, when I was first starting into non-monogamy and Victor was with another partner, I logically agreed with non-monogamy and loving more than one person. And so in so many ways, I was like, yeah, you do that thing. That's so great. That makes me happy. And I'm having an epic meltdown of ridiculous proportions because I am so insecure. And so feeling both at the same time totally happens. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think it's easier to feel compersion when you feel more secure. I agree completely. So that's actually an excellent, um, we have one more question and then that's, I think an excellent stopping point before sure. we start chatting about jealousy and we'll do that in a different session. Sure. Have you ever been involved in a non dyadic relationship? Meaning have you ever been involved with more than one other person at the same time? Um, within the framework of a relationship anarchist, this question is <laughs> kind of kind of charming, actually, in a way, <laughs> um, because most people r would hear that question and be like, "Dude, have you ever had a threesome?" Right. That's, I mean, the fundamental like that's because again, that's they, the socialized understanding of that question because they go to sexual or romantic needs because they go to sexual or romantic needs first. And so, for me, as a relationship anarchist, um, I check all of those out, and so. I have relationships with multiple people all the time, mm -hmm. and there are sometimes at the same time. I think the question kind of uh, formulates it into a, have you ever had a relationship that has been in any capacity negotiated between three people at the same time? I think so. Um, and then, then the answer is yes. Anytime I go on a trip with more than one person. Totally. Anytime I go to dinner with more than one person sure. um if i'm doing a kink scene with more than one person absolutely if i'm in a power dynamic with more than one person oh, definitely um that's that's like i think that's like essentially a triad or uh, or more uh, yeah i would agree depending on on the context absolutely. I, I just mean i don't even think it's a relationship anarchist stretch i'm like as soon as you add kink into the works i feel like that is one of the like staples that's considered with like sex and and romance as soon as you're a kinky person it's like sex romance or kink I mean, they're handled a little differently. I would agree. Um, anyways, I didn't mean to detract. They're all important. I, I am a relationship anarchist as well. Yeah. I just meant like... 
Um, it's just interesting because some of the socialized framework um, behind kink is slightly different. And so totally. I think the implications of like triadic and and poly groups are yep. different in kink than mm -hmm. they would be in a romantic or a sexual connotation. Mm -hmm. um, so that's a little bit different. I triads think. also, a lot of the time when people are talking about mainstream triads, which is to say one that is emotionally intimate only between three people to the exclusion of all others or is sexually intimate between three people to the exclusion of all others a lot of people talk about polyfidelity yes it's another word you hear a lot yeah um meaning a closed a group of group more than of two people more than two yeah um another term that gets thrown around which i always think of immediately afterwards i don't know why is polyfuckery <laughs> um, which is where you can be emotionally monogamous and romantically monogamous but fuck multiple people right um, which is another another um, definition or word. And people who are polyamorous, the focus on the amory, loving more, mm -hmm. than, one loving person, more than one person, tend to almost say polyfuckery with a bit of contempt or disdain. Sometimes. Sometimes. Yeah, depending on the style of... Actually, I think my under... In my personal experience, people who are hierarchically poly sure. um, don't don't ever use polyfuckery but people who are non-hierarchically poly yes like scoff and scorn Almost at hierarchical poly people and call them polyfuckerous right. rather than polyamorous but that's just a uh, socialized and context. elitism and it's, and some poly elitism unnecessary to police people's labels i would agree yeah yeah more of the same mind. i i think policing of labels is completely not helpful it's the opposite of what a label is um yeah, I let people label themselves um but I I think it also, like, labels do help to come to some sort of understanding um, mm -hmm. to an extent. Um, yeah, like, but, hopefully to promote discussion rather than to create exactly, boxes. Exactly, and so I think that's the intention behind them. Uh, that's not always how they're used. <laughs> it's almost like we're both relationship anarchists. Yeah, and that's, I think, part of the reason why I decided to go to relationship anarchists was to be like, fuck the box, I don't want in the box. Uh, I make my own shapes. Um <laughs> And so that's the way that I kind of see it. Great. Did you have any more comments or things, you metaphors or anything you wanted to talk about before we move into jealousy in next session? I don't think so. Well, thank you so much. You've been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for taking the time to listen to Intimate Interactions. I appreciate you. The intro music was Lullaby for Democracy and the outro was Ladies Take Me With You, both by Dr. Turtle, published under Creative Commons. I want to offer a special thank you to each and every Patreon supporter who helps me with show costs, food, and bills every month. I see you helping make this show. And if you haven't gotten the chance yet, you can go check out patreon.com slash victorsalmon. Thanks for your time, and talk to you soon. Disclaimer. I apologize in advance if something I say discriminates against some folks. I'm open to being called in. Chances are in six months, I'm going to look back aghast and see something horribly problematic I'm not proud of. I'm certainly not perfect, and I'm trying to be mindful of the voices I lift up and the perspectives I encourage. Along that line, I'd like to acknowledge that this podcast is recorded on the unceded traditional Coast Salish territories, specifically that of the Musqueam, Kwantlen, Tsawasan, and Tsleil-Waututh nations.